Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning. Welcome to Portugal. Portico. See, if you do it long enough, it works. <laughs> I want to say a special welcome to all our online guests. Thank you for joining us. No matter where you are in the world, we trust that you will feel the same presence of God where you are that we feel here in the room. Now, how many of you were here last week to hear Pastor Doug's message? Let me see your hands if you were here. Okay. Now, how many remember the chant that he encouraged us to participate in last week? Do you remember there was a chant? Okay. What was the chant? Okay, that was pathetic. Um, together. One, two, three. Again. Okay, that was pretty good. Did anybody complain about their food this week, or were you happy to get what you got? <laughs> it was a great message as we've been uh, journeying with Moses and the Israelites on this epic journey uh, from Egypt all the way into the Promised Land. And today, we are getting so close to the Promised Land. Believe it or not, there's only a few messages left in the series. And it has been really an epic journey, kind of walking with these people with this event that happened so long ago, and so many folks have come to me after the service and said, I never knew there was so much in the life of Moses. And it's been just such a great journey, kind of picking and, and learning from his life. And today, I believe, is going to be no different. I'm very excited about today's message. I'm excited about all the messages I get to preach, don't get me wrong. But today is extra special for me, because we're talking about a topic that's very close to my heart. And I really believe it's going to affect a lot of us in, in the room this morning. Now, you guys know that I like a church that participates in the messages, right? Okay, thank you. I spent about 15 years, you know, traveling all around the world, and I'd love to go to different churches and experience different cultures, and some cultures were quiet, and you had, it was like brutal work trying to get them to say amen. Other cultures, you would say good morning, and revival would break out. And I've seen everything in between. And I've been to those churches the Bible talks about, and it says the dead in Christ will rise first. I've been to that church. Uh, it's not here. <laughs> so this morning, I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, sometimes we ask questions that are, you know, reflective in nature, and we don't really want you to answer them out loud, but we want you to think about them in your mind. But this morning, at least in the first part, when I ask you a question, I actually want you to answer it out loud. It's not incriminating. It's not embarrassing. It's not personal. It's kind of a general question. And for those of you who are online, if you guys are in the chat room, actually type out your answers and maybe get a conversation going there in the chat room. We'd love to look at it later and see what you guys were talking about. So let me ask this question. Did you have a dream growing up? Sure you did. What was your dream? What did you want to be when you grew up? Just start yelling off different things. You want to be quiet in church. Okay. <laughs> Check. We all had dreams growing up. We all thought we were going to be, you know, something huge. We were going to do something amazing. And that's the beauty of being a child. Like, your imagination 
is unlimited. Life hasn't told you that you can't do it, and so you have these aspirations, these huge ambitious goals that you want to accomplish one day. Some people, maybe you grew up, you know, playing basketball down at the local community center or hockey on the streets, and you thought, I'm going to be a professional athlete, right? You're going to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know if that's a dream, but, you know, you had these dreams. You were going to grow up and be this professional athlete, and then you blew out your knee or something happened, and life threw you a bit of a, a left curve, and that dream fell to the wayside. Other people said, you know what, I'm going to travel the world when I get older. I want to see every continent. I want to get to as many countries as I can. But then, as you grew up, you know, life kind of got in the way, and maybe you were not able to travel. You have to care for somebody at home, and you can't can't get out there. Or the finances aren't what you hoped they would be. But for one reason or another, you couldn't go out and travel the world. It wasn't a dream, but it's something I got to do. I got to go to 56 different countries around the world, and it was was awesome. But sometimes things happen, and we don't get to do what we wanted to do. Others of us had, I mean, huge dreams. We were going to change the world. Did anybody have that dream? That you were going to change the world, that when you grew up, you were going to do something so profound and so big and so important that everybody was going to know your name. That was me. I was going to be a rock star. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I was a kid, instead of, instead of paying attention in class, I used to practice my autograph. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, Joe's really writing today. I was practicing my autograph because I was going to make it, man. I was going to be a rock star, but then that didn't happen. <laughs> So I had to fall back on my second dream, in fact, more of a realistic dream. When I was 12 years old, I decided I was going to be an astronaut. Yeah. And in fact, I was going to be the first man to land on Mars. Absolutely going to happen. And now it's actually possible. If you look, there's a project called the Mars One Project. You can buy a ticket on a spaceship to go to Mars. It's a one-way trip. That's right. And my wife's been trying to get me a ticket for years. Uh, It's a one-way, seven-month trip. And it's actually scheduled to launch in the fall of 2022. Just in case you haven't figured anything out, it's 2017. It's very close, and they plan to arrive seven months later in 2023 in in the wintertime. And by 2027, they're hoping to have the first human settlement on the planet Mars. I mean, absolutely amazing. That was also a dream that somebody had. And so we all have these, these ideas, and the fact is that God has created us, and he's put it within our hearts to reach for the stars. It's God who's made us that way, to become more than what we are. He's he's created us to reach for the unattainable, to dream the unbelievable dream. But so often things happen in our lives and the dream seems to fall apart. I want you to think back through your lifetime. Now I'm going to ask a bit of a personal question. Anybody here 75 years or older? Let me see your hands. Yeah? Okay. Think of all the things that you've seen in your life. The incredible inventions, the 
the advancement in, in culture, in electronics, and in te- technology. You know, even me at 47 years old, I'm a young guy, but at 47, I've noticed things that have changed within my lifetime. And for those of you who are in my age bracket, you know what I'm talking about. Do you guys remember having to go to this place where they had books called a library? Now, when I was in Bible college, we didn't have the internet. I had to go to the library and take an actual book, read the pages, open it up, and photocopy it, and then go home and then handwrite and transcribe it into my assignment. Do you guys remember those days? There was no cut, copy, or paste. When I talk to my kids, and I mention old vinyl records, they look at me funny. Do you guys remember 8-track cassettes? Those were awesome. But there's been so many changes in our society. And all of these amazing inventions and all these amazing advancements, they all have one thing in common. They began with a dream. And it took a dreamer to make it happen. It took a person to say, I'm going to risk it. I might fail. I might get laughed at. I might get made fun of. I may not make the funding. It may not work, but I'm going to do it. Every invention, every advancement that we have, there was thousands of failures, but they didn't allow the failure to prevent them from moving forward. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. You see, it's a human thing to allow our past failures to affect us in the present and in the future. Because the hurt, because the disappointment, because the rejection was so real and was so strong, it paralyzes us and it stops us from moving forward. Many of us have missed out on amazing things because we've allowed fear to be the thing that propels us forward. And so we begin to stray away from what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be And we allow that past experience to be the truth or the reality of what we have. You know, my dad, God bless him, he was one of the hardest working men I've I've ever known in my life. And anybody here who's a child of a first-generation immigrant father knows what I'm talking about. A father who, it didn't matter what was going wrong, my dad could have woken up in the morning and his intestines could have been hanging out his body. Dad, how's it going? Great. I'm going to work. And so this work ethic was always instilled in me. And my dad taught me a lot of stuff. And one thing that he taught me was that anything worth having is worth working for. Would you agree with that? If it's worth having, it's worth putting in the work and the effort. Now, if it's too good to be true, guess what? It might be too good to be true. Anything worth having having is work is worth working for nothing of value comes easy it comes at a price it comes with a price often it's sacrifice it's hard work it's time it's money it's energy we want the results but no one wants to put in the work that's required now i'm not a i'm not a betting man i'm not a gambling kind of man but i would bet that almost every man, if not every man in this room, would like to look like this. (laughs) How many women would love? Never mind. 
I am, I don't know this guy, but I am pretty sure that he didn't go to bed skinny or large. And he prayed and said, I'd love to be Mr. Universe. And then he woke up the next morning and bam. But you know what? That's exactly what happened to me. Look. For those of you online, that is not a glitch. That's why I wear jackets every Sunday, to hide. Okay, you can take that off the screen. Anything worth having is worth working for. You see, God has given us a promise. God has has promised us success. He's promised us that we would attain certain things in our lives, and the truth is, is that we have to do our part. Now, take that and bring it into the story that we're looking at today. We're looking at the Israelites as they're journeying through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. God had given them a promise, but it was up to them to claim it. They had to do their part. And that's the first lesson that I want us to to look at this morning. And if you're following along in in your notes, in your bulletin, or in the apps that you've downloaded, or however else you're looking at it, here's the first thing. God expects us to be actively involved in His plans for our lives. Say, our lives. No, personalize it. Say, my life. So God expects you to be actively involved in His plans for your life. So often, we get this idea that if God said it, he's going to do it all by himself with no help from us. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, and we're going to to hang out in Numbers this morning. In and around chapter 13, and we'll divert a little bit, but this is where the main story is. And it's very simple, and this is uh, Moses speaking to the people. uh, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. So God is speaking to Moses, he's speaking to the people. The land I am giving to the Israelites. So God had a plan for them. God has a plan for us, and he intends to make it happen. And God will make it happen. And I want to say something that maybe you don't hear a lot, but I believe that it's true. It's not less spiritual to get involved in making God's plans for your life happen. Did you hear that? It's not less spiritual of you to get involved in making those things happen. So often, Christians, we feel that the the greatest thing we can do for God's will to happen in our lives or for that goal to be accomplished, to get that job, to meet that right person and marry them, or whatever that big dream is, we feel that the best and only thing we can do is pray and wait for it to happen. Now, I'm not against prayer. The Bible tells us to pray. I believe we should pray every day. We should commune. We should talk with God. But so often we feel that if we get involved, you see, sometimes the most spiritual thing to do doesn't feel very spiritual at all. Sometimes God is calling us to step up and to step out and to get involved. And when we do that, there are amazing things that will happen. You see, so often... There are times where God is calling us. He's calling us to fast. He's calling us to pray. He's calling us to seek him. And we wait on God. But sometimes an act of obedience can be just as spiritual. 
Waiting on God is important, but we need to couple that with actually stepping out in God and partnering with Him. In fact, God might be waiting for you right now to get involved in His plan for your life. Some of us, we struggle with with disappointment because God gave us a promise and we're waiting for it and we're waiting for it and we're praying and we're fasting and we're waiting for it and then nothing happens and we get disappointed. But even maybe right now where you are in your journey, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your education, in your career, wherever it is that you are, maybe God is waiting for you to walk with him into the promised land. Do you, what do you think? I think that's often the case. And in, in this chapter, in Numbers 13, Moses sends out 12 spies to go into the land because there's 12 tribes, and he names them all. Now, let me show you a map here of where the people were. And um, if you look way down at the bottom, you'll see Petra, where that little red circle is. And that's where they are now in modern-day Petra. And then they cross over to the left side, and then they begin to go through the hill country and all the way up into the Galilee, and they take that route to Jericho. And when you go to the opening verse here in in Numbers chapter 13, verses 17 and 20, Uh, Moses said to them, go out and explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or they're weak, are they few, are they many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they have? Are they unwalled or fortified? And, And how's the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees or is it not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. And so Moses sends out the people to scout out the land to see what it is that they're coming into. Now, what's interesting is that in verse 8, it says that Moses sent out Hoshea, the son of Nun, to represent his tribe. And when you hear about the son of Nun, that's not the name that we're used to having, not Hoshea. But in verse 16, his name gets changed to Yahshua or to Joshua. And so we see often in the life of a person, when they're about to do something extraordinary for God, he gives them a new name. We see that with Peter. We see that with Paul. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Jacob over and over again. And so Hoshea means salvation. And if you remember when Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, they began to cry out Hoshea or Hosanna, which means save us. But then God made a slight change in the Hebrew from an H sound to this J-sounding word that we have today, and he went from Hoshea to salvation to Yahshua to God's salvation. What he was saying was, it's not man who's going to do this, but it's me in you that's going to do this. And so this subtle name change sets up for us that Joshua is about to be used greatly by God. Now, last week, Pastor Doug told us that from Petra to Jericho, they were two weeks away from the promised land, and that's And that's absolutely true. I Google mapped it, and it's about 170 kilometers from Petra to Jericho. With a group of 2 million people, it would take about, it would be about 12 kilometers a day. But with only 12 men, they could travel about 50 kilometers a day. And so it would take them between three and four days in each direction. And the Bible says that they spent 40 days out in this area surveying the land. 
And so we're getting back to this point that although God had given them the land, it was their job to actually go and take the land. They weren't going to go to bed one night and then wake up in Jericho or wake up in the promised land. They had to walk with God and they had to actually get to the promised land. Let me put that in in a way that maybe will be a little more relatable to us today. Perhaps when you were younger, maybe your dreams weren't as big as mine. You didn't want to be an astronaut and go to Mars. Maybe you wanted to stay on this planet. And maybe you wanted to, uh, let's say, you had dreams of becoming a doctor or a lawyer or some kind of higher education you know, field to get into. Wouldn't it be awesome if God was calling you to be a doctor that you would go to bed one night and know nothing about the human body and have no information at all and then wake up the next morning and know everything about the human body? How many would trust that doctor? <laughs> you would? All right. Right? That generally doesn't happen. Even though God gives you the dream of being a doctor or being whatever that position is, you still have to go to school. You still have to pay the money. You still have to do the research. You still have to write the exams. It's the same thing. Just because God gives you a promise, it doesn't mean that you sit back and you don't do anything. Folks, it's not less spiritual to work for the dream. Okay, some of us need to hear that today. It's not less spiritual to work for the dream. Working for the dream is a demonstration that we have faith that what God said is, in fact, true. And if any of us have ever had this dream that God has given us in our hearts, the first thing that we'll say, if we're honest, is the journey's not easy. There's going to be bumps along the road. Some people think that, you know, God gave me this dream, so it's going to be smooth sailing. There'll be no problems, there'll be no struggles, and the moment they have a struggle, they say, oh, not God. Because if God is in it, it would be perfect, but the truth is, there will be bumps along the way. And in fact, it will not be smooth sailing. And this takes us into our second point this morning, is that we're going to have obstacles. Absolutely guaranteed, we're going to have obstacles. But every obstacle is an opportunity for obedience. Because when we come face to face with an obstacle, we're going to react one of two ways. We're going to be afraid of the obstacle, and we're going to let it derail the vision, derail the project, or we're going to have faith that God is going to help us to overcome that obstacle and do it. Amen? So there's two ways of dealing with obstacles. We can either be afraid of them and have us, have us be derailed by them, or in faith we can trust and walk with God. So in Numbers 13, you need to understand that Numbers is Moses is writing about his journey as it's happening. So it's almost like he's taking shorthand. He's just writing the quick points of what's going on. But then we get to the, the book of Deuteronomy and this is towards the end of his life. He knows that his life is coming to an end. He's not going to cross over into the promised land. And so now he takes the time and he writes in more detail the events of the Exodus journey. Because he wants to pass it on to Joshua. And he wants to make sure it gets to the next generation so they know what God did and what God said. And if you go to the book of Deuteronomy and Moses begins to speak about this whole process of going into the land and sending out spies... There's a slight discrepancy 
And it's because now Moses has taken the time to fill it in. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it tells us that it wasn't God's idea to send the people. It wasn't God's idea to send the spies. It was the people's idea. And this is what it says, that you came to me, Moses said. And then Moses said, the idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12. You see, God didn't commission it, but God worked with the people anyways. You see, we have this idea of of God's perfect will versus God's permissible will. And what I love about God is even though he allows us to make choices, he gives us free will to make choices, I'm so glad that God works with us even when we make the wrong choices. That's what makes us human, the fact that he's given us free will even to do the wrong thing. You see, when I was ready to be born, God didn't say, oh, download the Joe Amaral program and run it, and then God backs off, and he says, Joe is just going to walk out this program that I've written for him. No, he gives us free choice, even the choice to make bad decisions. And that's where love comes in. But God still uses it. See, we're not created as robots. We have the ability to veer off of the course. And so the people, although they trusted God, they wanted to take a sneak peek of the promised land. God said, I'm going to give you a land, and it's going to be beautiful. And the people said, that's good, but we really would love to see it for ourselves. And some of us are judging the Israelites right now, saying, how could they not trust God? How many of you pick up a murder mystery book and you turn to the last page? Right? Some of us want a little hint as to the direction of where things are going to go so that we can anticipate it. Now, this is just a yes or no question. I don't want all the details of your life, okay? Because it's being recorded. But if you had the chance... If somebody said, I could tell you your whole life now before it happens. I can tell you who you're going to marry. I can tell you how many children you're going to have, how much money you're going to have, what kind of a job you're going to have, and even the date of your death. How many would want to know their future? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few of you. That's what happened with the Israelites. God, we trust you, but can we just get a sneak peek of what's coming up? And so the spies go out into the land and they bring back this report and we see it in Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 and 28. They said, guys, it is indeed a bountiful country. Basically, it's exactly what God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a way of saying it is a rich town. It's got everything. And they said, here's even the kind of fruit it produces. The Bible says that one bunch of grapes was so big, it took two men on a pole to carry it back. It was truly a blessed land. And then verse 28, he says, but. (laughs) Whenever you throw the word but into a conversation, it's going to take a left turn. You know, I love you, but. I don't want to say anything bad about you, but. I'm going to. (laughs) This is a great land, but the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large, they're fortified. In fact, we even saw giants there. And we read that and we're like, oh, the Israelites are exaggerating. 
Maybe there was a few people that were taller than the rest, but there certainly weren't giants in the land. Well, a few verses ahead in Numbers 13, 33, it says that we saw the Nephilim there. And the Nephilim were this race of giants, the Bible says, in Genesis chapter 6, I believe it's in verse 4. It says that the angels of heaven joined with women here on earth and created this, this race of giants called the Anakites. And he says, we seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes. In fact, we looked the same to them. This was the land that God had promised the people, but there were giants. Let me show you a chart that somebody created um, about giants based on the different dimensions we have in Scripture and in other sources in antiquity. If the average man was six feet tall, and that's pushing it, because the Israelites were more around five, five and a half feet tall, but even if you were a tall Hebrew person and you were six feet tall, from the numbers that we get in the account of Goliath, he's anywhere between 12 and 18 feet tall. I think that's a wowable moment. I'm six foot. Three of me on this stage takes us to the top of that speaker. That's tall. And I don't care how brave you are or how good you are, that's a tall dude. You see, the reality of the giants, well, it was real. Their fear was founded. Their fear was valid. In fact, in the book of Amos, chapter 2, verse 9, God is remembering what he did to the Anakites, the giants, and he said, remember when I destroyed them in the hill country? The men were as tall as cedar trees. Anywhere from 30 to 35 feet tall. Absolutely tall. And so their fear was founded, but it wasn't the fear that was the issue. The issue was how do they react to the fear? How do they react to the giant? And that's what we're going to focus on in a few moments as we come to a close. There's a term that psychologists use, and it's this. It's called paralysis by analysis. Have you ever heard that before? It's, it's something that happens to us called paralysis by analysis. When we overanalyze the data, we overanalyze the situation, we actually scare ourselves into doing nothing. We allow the fear of the numbers, we allow the fear of the event to paralyze us and stop us from moving forward, and that's exactly what happened. They're like, you know what, it's a great land, but there's giants. That's all they heard. They didn't hear milk and honey, flowing, fertile, rich, wonderful, amazing. They heard giants, and they got stuck on that. So often when we're on our journey and we, we see the giant and we hit this road bump, we say, oh, certainly God must not be in this. There's a road bump. Certainly God has closed the door. And how many times have we missed out because we had this idealistic way of how we thought it was going to go. And the moment the giant came, that's all we focused on. The Bible says that Goliath came out to fight David. And Goliath was from a village called Gath. And Gath, we're told, is where the giants came from. But we know what David did. And this is what I'm hoping we take today. 
I'm hoping that you can look at your giant today. What's the giant? I don't know. Maybe it's fear, rejection, disappointment, cancer, financial situation, marital situation, family, whatever that fear is, instead of looking at it and trembling this morning, know what I want you to say? I want you to look at that giant and go, I have five rocks with your name on it. I got five rocks with your name on it, and one is coming for you. (laughs) Come on. You see, it's easy to believe in the giants. You know why? Because they're giants. They're huge. You can't miss them. They're right there. And you say, I can't see the promised land because the giant is in the way. It doesn't mean the promise isn't there, friends. It just means that you have to get past this giant. You have to have the faith to believe that God can help you tear down that giant. And the promise is waiting for you. Amen? You see, because if we operate in fear, and this is the third and final point this morning, fear has the potential to rob us of the promise. Because all we're doing is staring at that big giant. And we can't see what God has for us because the fear has paralyzed us and we don't know how to get past the giant. You see, 12 men went out. 12 spies went out and 10 came back and operated in fear and said, there's giants. But Caleb and Joshua said, we will take the land because God is with us. Portico, online, wherever you are, God is with you. You can take the giant. Come on. Later on, as we get into Joshua, chapter 11 and 15, we're told that Joshua went into one village and he completely destroyed all of the giants. And then Caleb went to another village and he completely destroyed all of the giants. The two that had faith and not fear were the ones who took the land. The way we think heavily affects the way that we act. There's a, there's a Japanese proverb and it says that fear is only as deep as the mind allows I read a report from a a psychology website, and it says that our subconscious mind is, check this out, 30,000 times more powerful than your conscious mind. 30,000. So that means that when you look at a situation and you tell yourself, oh boy, I can't beat this giant. I'm not going to get to the land. You know what happens? You start to believe that, and you start to operate and act in a way like that. So what do we have to do is we have to turn and change the way we see our situation. Instead of seeing the giant as an obstacle, we need to see it as an opportunity to see God do what no man can do. Come on. Folks, we can respond in one of two ways. We can respond in fear or we can respond out of faith. We can be like those first ten spies who said, it's too big, not worth it. Living in fear comes with too high a cost. We lose too much. We miss out on so much. God is calling us to live a life of faith so that when we look at that giant, we tell him in Jesus' name, he's coming down. So what's preventing you? What's preventing us from entering our promised land, folks? You know, I've had giants. I've had giants that if I allowed them to, they would have prevented me from being here today. 
It wasn't easy. It's not easy. Every once in a while, the giant catches me and squashes me. But I have a choice, don't I? You have a choice. I can stay there or I can get up and fight again. This morning, friends, don't operate in fear. Operate in faith. And when you do, look at what happens in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. It's, look whose name it is. Not the name of one of the ten spies who came back in fear. Not one of the ten spies who came back focusing on the giants. But it was one of them who said, our God will give us this land. And in turn, God said to him, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Friends, when we live a life that's rooted in faith, we will slay the giant, we will walk into that promised land, and we will receive what God has promised us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning.